So you two, um, hmm, dig up, dig up dinosaurs? <laughs> well, we try to. <laughs> it's nice to meet you. So you're a mathematician. Oh. I've heard about you. You're the chaos theory guy, aren't you? Is he even breathing? Dr. Malcolm, are you excited to visit this Jurassic... (laughs) An entire weekend with this guy? Kill me now. Welcome to the Culture Quest podcast. Today in Tavern Talk, we'll be talking about the $5 million experiment before going into our main discussion about Jurassic Park, a film by Steven Spielberg. Then, finally, we'll close out by introducing next week's topic, Cowboy Bebop. Hello, and welcome to The Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurers, and today, if you are able to see just one of us, that means that the other two are getting ready to pounce you. With me, as always, are Peter. Hi. And Bio. We should replace the hello with just, you know, dinosaur sounds. I was going to do one, actually. I regret not doing it. <laughs> you want to give it a go quickly? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think it would be, it would be <laughs> nice. Yeah, let's do it again. Boy. All right. My voice is going to crack. With me, as always, are Peter. Roar! And Barrio. Uh, and, and I'm Inon. I, I didn't think of a dinosaur noise. Oh. <laughs> I went with a lion. It doesn't sound like a dinosaur. <laughs> Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. Today, we'll be discussing Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park. I think it's the first time we're doing a repeat of a director. I think um, in the opening segment, we did Jojo Rabbit after doing Hunt for the Wilder People. Never done two episodes on the same person. Exactly. Anyway, Jurassic Park is a scary adventure movie that most people who grew up in the 90s are familiar with. And it now has two sequels. A remake, the remake has a sequel, and another one is in the works. Jesus. Uh, But before we get into that, let's do some... Tavern Talk. In this episode's Tavern Talk segment, we've decided to answer another question from the Ask Reddit subreddit. It's a good question. I think that by answering this question, we'll get a glimpse of how each of us will hypothetically react to this wildly hypothetical situation. So the question is this. You have been accepted for an experiment. You must stay in a room with nothing but a bed, a toilet, food and water, and no human contact for one month. If you succeed for the whole month without giving up, you get $5 million. The question is twofold. A. Do you accept? And B. What are your coping strategies to avoid mental breakdown? Um, should we define some... Prob- like, there's a million stipulations. There's one big one, I think. Oh, um, I don't know what the big one would be, but I've got a few. Um, do you want me to go through mine? Go for it. One is, can you stop it when you want? And get like a fraction of the sum? No, 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 no. You don't get anything, but you can like one day in and you can say like, let me out. Or is it like once you're in, you're in and they're not going to open the door? Because that's, that's a big one. Big difference. Yeah. Um, the second one is, I would say not as big, but still pretty big is, um, can you turn on and off the lights? Because like the way I imagined it was like you're in a white room with just like fluorescent light and it never goes off but that's like more of just my imagination I don't know if that's what they intended but um, if you can turn the lights off I feel like it'd be much easier to sleep 
It's fine. I kind of assume that you can leave whenever you want and like fail yep. or give up. And I, I'm thinking about it now. I never thought about the lights, but I kind of assume that they're just on the entire time, which is awful. <laughs> that is bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, if, if the lights are always on, that's just torture. Yeah, exactly. The third one was, um, do you like change clothes? Do you like other meals? Like, do you just get like an up and go every day or do you get like actual like potato and stuff? <laughs> like what's, what's, what's the meals? situation and the clothes situation i didn't think about any of these so let's say it's something decent but you get the same thing for every day like, like every day like um potatoes peas and like a hash brown yeah and a piece of chicken yeah well, you don't get anything special for breakfast i don't know like, no. for breakfast you get or... like toast with no like butter or anything just like plain toast so it's reasonable food not, not nothing boring but nothing too fancy Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. And we're assuming that you can give up whenever you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't get a percentage. You don't get two and a half mil yeah, for me. You don't get anything. Yeah, you don't get yeah. anything. Yeah, and, and you're allowed to change clothes. And you can control the lights. Like, I, may, I think this would be fitting. It's like prison robes, except not prison colors, because it's not meant to like be an insult to you. Yeah. Like, just like blue sort of pajama looking things, and you just get one set every day. So, like, you're not like into yeah. jeans and chinos and stuff. Like, you just... Like one, like one set of, what would you call them? Ju- like a one jumpsuit a day. Even saying jumpsuit just feels bad. But yeah, it feels like, <laughs> it feels like you need to be handcuffed. But no, um, I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah, so to me, the, the big question was, is there a window? Like, can I look outside? Nah. Because I, I'm assuming that no, that there's no chance for it. But then if there's no window, then I know my answer to the first question, which is, do you accept? And, and no. If there's no window and I can't feel the sun or I, I don't need like a, a view, you know, I don't need anything interesting to happen outside of the window, but I need to breathe some fresh air. I need to be able to feel the sun every once in a but while. But it's five million, you know, five million. Uh, no, <laughs> no way. You know how much, you know how much air and sunlight you can buy with five million? I can't do that. No window. No, I, I'm not going in there. So um, what's your answer to B? How do you deal with being poor while me and Mario are rich? <laughs> what's, your, what's your coping strategy? <laughs> me and Mario will start the Millionaire Club podcast and you won't be able, oh. to, won't be able to join. Oh, man. I think like the, <laughs> like, like the hard thing about this situation is kind of like the lack of stimuli, right? If you could have brought the, I don't know a TV or a computer there then like, anything at all <laughs> yeah then like passing a month isn't like I can I think I can binge for a month I think we just tried it and you went crazy you remember like all the lockdown episodes you told us how you were planning escape routes from your apartment hmm. I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't think about it you got a point you could there. order in food you, you, you had a access to everything <laughs> yeah and and i would I, and i actually had my whole whole apartment not just a single room yeah so that, that's a good point i think that kind of <laughs> you had to work kinda, that's a big thing yeah but actually you know like working can can working can really i think i think the hard part was like communicating all the time with people but never actually seeing them So I, I couldn't like do anything else but communicate with them, but it was kind of hard to not actually be in, in their presence. I remember this. And weren't you developing schizophrenia in the end? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, just to keep, keep myself sane, I, I just lost my mind. <laughs> if if you're strategy. signing up for this and they're screening applicants, you look like, well, actually, you look like their ultimate test case. <laughs> 
They could get this experiment done in 72 hours. <laughs> Wait, so both of, both of you are considering this. Oh, are I'm you totally going to go in there? Totally in for it. Yeah, me too. Me too. But, you know, like, if I could get a computer even with no internet no connection. No internet connection. Just yeah, a hard you, drive of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Not, not necessarily to watch even. Just, you know, because like, like something to do. You got to do something there, right? So if I could go in with something that I can... You know, I can I can do a project around. I think that's a good way to cope with kind of like being disconnected because yep. you kind of expand yourself into the void of, of working on something. Yeah. Like if I had a computer, I could program something and, and that would definitely kill a whole bunch of time. I feel like that's got to be out though. Like, yeah, that's no, no way. I'll give this to the referee. I'll give this to Anon, right? What about a paper and pen? That's a good one. I'm yeah. saying no. I think, like, no I think you can do a lot with a paper I think that's pen. fair. Yeah, you can start drawing. You can practice drawing and stuff. And that's that's a perfect kind of a distraction. You know, I love just drawing and thinking or just doodling and thinking. I can't really draw. <laughs> you can't call what I'm doing drawing. Wait, so. wait. But can I destroy the room? Can I, like, start uh, writing on the walls? And- with what? If you find anything to write with, like, can you write with a bed? I can maybe break <laughs> the bed and, and start using some of the splinters there to, I don't know. Yeah. Like do I'm guessing you're not going to waste food to write on the wall. And I'm not going to go into talking about how you use a toilet to write on the wall. Mm, I didn't think about that. That's the thing. I'm kind of, I'm trying to understand exactly what this situation tries to test, like being disconnected or actually being like in, in a, in a cell, in a prison cell where, where the conditions are not that good because that's what you do when you want to torture someone. You, you Have you heard about, like, torturing in a white room? Yeah. It's supposed to be horrifying. Like, people who are uh, very creative and, and kind of, like, you just put them in a white room with no stimuli whatsoever. You know, you, you serve them white rice every day. And you kind of lose your mind, uh, even after a couple of days. Just a lack of stimuli. I think that's what it's yeah. meant to be testing. I think the interesting question here is it's a question of your confidence in yourself and how good do you think you can manage to do this? Like how, that's part B of the question. What are your coping strategies? What would you do to keep yourself from breaking down? My strategy would be just before I go in, I would plan out 31 problems. I'm assuming the month is going to be the worst. So 31 days. Yeah. And I'll just try to try to get 31 problems that are, sufficiently complex that I could just spend like eight hours just thinking through them, thinking from all angles, and then bank on the rest of the day with just, I'd be trying to sleep. So like example problems, what's my priorities in life? So you could just go through like, what do you, what do you want to die on your deathbed? What do you want to have achieved? Like, you know, should I quit my job? Should I move in with someone or something, I'd sort out that. I would go <laughs> um, like more like philosophical ones. I'd say like, do I have an obligation to donate money to charity? Or um, here's a good one. What would I do with $5 million? That would be a, that would be a fun one. What's the best movie of all time? Should they abolish guns? Everything. Oh, so, so I have two questions about that. Yeah. So the first one is you're basically going to do 31 Tavern Talk segments. By yeah. yourself. Yeah, essentially. Is well, that it? 
<laughs> and my second question is, why are these not in the Terran Talk? There's a list of Terran Talk ideas. Why are these not listed there? <laughs> um, well, best movie of all time we've done. Um, <laughs> what will I do with $5 million dollars we haven't done? But I guess me and Barrio could do that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, priorities in life, I guess we're doing a podcast on Saturday night. So, yeah. <laughs> so 31 Tavern Talks that's your strategy yeah that would be my strategy pretty much that's a good one that's a good one I would try to meditate as well yeah what about you Barrio what, what will you do to keep yourself sane as sane as possible well I think I think I will just start talking to myself right away you know even at day one yeah I would definitely start you know if if I don't get anything that I can actually do then I will probably break down everything and, and start to see how I, will, I can use you know like draw on the walls yeah yeah you know I guess like a good way to pass the time is kind of like go inwards but there's a limit to what you can hold with your mental capacity so that's why you kind of need something you know like a paper or, or some kind of a material to put you thoughts and ideas into while you process other things so that seems like the core issue and then I think I can do all kind of projects I mean there are, there are a couple of like programming projects that I always wanted to work on so you know I, I won't have a computer so I can't really do it but I can kind of like design the experience and, yeah I can like can do like the high level design and yeah you know I guess I guess like starting to think about the all that general where are we going what are we doing with our lives yeah stuff but I gotta say that I don't really have that high hopes about getting these thoughts to be something that is meaningful like you know I've been traveling for six months um, a couple of years ago and and um, and I always thought that this is a great time to contemplate about you know what I want to do where I want to be. with whom I want to be with and etc etc and and I didn't really get to it because um I don't know maybe I didn't travel long enough or maybe I didn't have the tools yet to do it or maybe those questions just they don't have a clear answer and and even if you cut yourself off in a room with no stimuli whatsoever I, I don't really think that that you can get something out of it but I don't know maybe I'm wrong But you've got to think about, like, it's a lot of money for 30 days. Like, yep. you, you could definitely invest it and sort of live off it. It's $6,720 per hour. <laughs> wow. <laughs> $161,000 per day. $6,700 per hour. Which is a lot. <laughs> $112 per minute. That's awesome. You know, you can just sit there for a month and kind of, like, count the minutes and like another hundred dollars another hundred dollars a dollar 85 per second and that's why if you could just you know do a fraction of the time and get a fraction of the reward I know I, I would definitely go in <laughs> no, I'd take seven bucks for like three minutes <laughs> would, you, would you would you still go in if you get the proportional part but only after two weeks in definitely yes two weeks I can hold on Oh, you can hang out for two weeks. Yeah, you wouldn't get everything. You'll get like only half. Yeah. But only if you get to two weeks. Yeah, and then every minute counts towards your reward or every hour. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Can, because I feel like two weeks is maybe doable. When we had the corona quarantine back, like a couple of months ago, I was still like having the time of my life after, I don't know, a month or a month and a half in. 
So, and, and that wasn't total isolation. So with total isolation, I think like I can do a week, maybe a week and a half, and then, you know, kind of push it and hang on uh, until like the, w- the second week ended. But a whole month, I really don't know. Uh, that That's why I'm thinking if you can't get like a proportional reward, like a, a fraction of the reward, I don't think I can go in there. But let's say I did go in there and uh, give it a go. Here's what I would do. I think like I would choose a book or a movie, something that I've seen like a few times and I feel like I know it fairly well and spend as much time as I can just recreating it in my mind. You know, I would try to remember every detail, every plot point that I can. I would explain the whole movie and each detail of it kind of out loud to myself because like like you said, Barrio, I would talk out loud. I would talk as if there's someone else in the room because I think that if I would keep it all in my mind, I would zoom through everything and it would be over far too soon. But by talking out loud, I'm, I'm pretending I'm explaining it to someone. I think it would make me have to finish each sentence and kind of stick to a regular pace, you know? I think that's something I would do for the majority of the time. And the thing is, I can see this totally backfiring. Like, let's say that I'm thinking about a book I know very well, but I'm missing just like a a very specific detail. Like for some reason, I can't remember something specific that happened. It might have been something that doesn't really affect the story too much. But without any distractions, I can see myself obsessed over it to a point in which I'm unable to think of anything else. And that sounds scary to me. (laughs) That's That's actually a good idea. I like that. Maybe even more than mine. Oh. Yeah, I think another option also is if you were, if I was to write like a fiction book, it would be easier to um, think about the world, like immerse yourself in the world. Mm, so play yeah. it out in your head and play it out like far into the future. Like with a month, you could sort of just go with like everything and try to like keep it all canon. So like, don't like change characters halfway through. Like you want them to stay consistent, but you want to explore like potential storylines and just sit with it for a month. And then when you get out, you would already have the whole world. You would be almost trying to explain it to someone who hasn't seen it. Hmm. So yeah. you'd just be like, oh, and did I mention this is this and this is this? Like you would be sort of, instead of trying to make it up as you go, you would be more like, you've already got it all, but you just need to let it out. I feel like that would be a good way to write a fiction Yeah, it sounds book. like a fun experience. Yeah. I could see myself doing something like that. Hmm. Yeah. Another thing I would do, kind of like going over movies or a book in my mind, I think another thing to do is is just go over albums that I know really well, you know, like just sing the whole album from beginning to end. And I wouldn't be trying to make it sound good at all, you know, like there you can't sing a full album and make it sound actually true to the source material. But I would just try to sing it in a way that would make me kind of remember how the album feels, you know. Like, it's the closest you could get to actually listening to the album, which could also horribly, horribly backfire. Because <laughs> let me tell you this quick story. I don't know, Barrio, if you remember, but like when we were in high school, we could choose to participate in this 14 kilometers run. It was kind of a public thing, but we could enter and get a few extra points towards our uh, physical education score that year or something. And... I wasn't an athlete at all or in shape. <laughs> so it took me quite a while to do the 14 kilometers. And I remember it vividly. Like a few steps after I started running, I got a guitar solo from an Iron Maiden song stuck in my head. 
and it wasn't even the full solo. Like it was the first half of the solo from the song The Trooper, if you know it. And that first half just looped over and over and over in my mind for like an hour and a half. And it drove me crazy. It kept repeating and repeating. And it's kind of a fast-paced song, which, you know, it, it, after a while, it becomes really stressful, <laughs> you know? And to this day, if I sing that part of the solo in my mind, I feel a, a little stressed. <laughs> so imagine that happening to you when you're stuck in a room with no, no possible distractions at all. Like, what if it's stuck in your head for, for a day, for, for a few days? Yeah, I don't know. I, I sort of just, I don't think there's any way to avoid just being really stressed and really depressed at the same time. I just guaranteed the last week is just going to be like regret. <laughs> but but going into it, as long as you know that, then, you know, I think it'll be fine. But um, uh, the, I guess the, so. the thing I... I wouldn't want to start on that and then an hour later go, mm, actually, I'm going to do the book thing. And then sw- and then an hour later go, actually, I'm going to do like the whole immerse myself in a, in a book. I'm not going to do, like, I feel like if you switch, you're going to fail. Like, I don't know why. I'm, I feel pretty confident in saying, like, if you, if you keep, like, changing your strategy, I don't think it's going to go well. I think you need to, like, be immersed in whatever you're doing because you need a bit of a purpose. If you, like... If you just think like, oh, I'll do this for an hour, I'll do this for an hour, like you're gonna, you're gonna run out of things to do, and then like you're gonna, oh, I've already done the goal thing, oh, I've already done the that thing, you know, then you're gonna be really screwed. I think what whatever you do, you got to stick with. I don't know. I think I would try to create this schedule. You know, two hours, think of a movie, then sing for one hour. I noticed, like, I'm thinking about it now, but I noticed that none of us have mentioned any physical activity at all. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you um, include Barrio destroying the room, but... <laughs> it's pretty physical, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could do that. I mean, you would want to do it just before your clothes change. Be- oh, and I don't know. Yeah. Do you get a shower as well? Because imagine being like hot and sticky for a month. I don't want to. Yeah, I, I think I think like in that experiment, you got, you got the everything basic you need in order to kind of like feel comfortable. Yeah, feel comfortable is the is the key word. Yeah, and that, but then you kind of have to face your yourself alone. I agree. Yeah, so you can shower in this. You can uh, shower, you can change clothes, you got a decent toilet and uh Okay. Yeah. I've also got one more idea which I think it's a bit out of left field, but it depends on what type of bed it is. Okay. I, I what I'd do is I'd disassemble the bed and throw the pieces in random areas and I'd try to assemble it again. Like a jigsaw puzzle. That's what I'd do. And it's a good idea. The reason I say it depends on the bed is like if you have no tools, then some like you're probably not going to be able to do it. But yeah. some beds are like those ones that you just slot into place, so you could do. Yeah. That. So, in all honesty, how long do you think you could make it? Do you think you could do the whole month? Yeah, I reckon I could do the whole month. That's confident. I like it, Mario. Like I want to say that I'm confident as well, but. You reminded me how how I I was like like two weeks ago, so I, I'm I'm a bit in doubt now. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> he wants to say he's confident, but he's not quite confident enough to say it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not confident in my confidence. That's pretty much it. <laughs> Honestly, I can see myself going in there. I, I can see myself breaking in the last day. You know, tempted to get to leave the moment I'm I'm, I'm getting in there. And then holding on to the last day and breaking down. <laughs> so, okay, one piece of advice I have, if anyone was going to do it, is 
don't assume it's going to be a good time. Like, no, I feel like a lot of the things that like I saw on the Ask Reddit sub would like, oh yeah, I would be able to just do this or like, oh, it would give me time to do X or, um, you know, like I, I would just try to do Y and then I would be in like a happy state. I reckon it will be bad. Like it would be just terrible. It's not a vacation. Yeah, it's not a vacation. I would try to get in the zone of like a very high stress job. Like not if you're a Navy SEAL because that sounds fun. But like if you were like, <laughs> you know, like if you were in like a lawyer doing um like research for like a very important client or something like that, it would be like very boring and stuff. But I think if you think about it more as like a going into a mine or something like that for a month where you don't actually have to do any work, you just have to sit down then I think that puts you in, like, the right state about it. Like, you shouldn't be like, oh, I'll get so much done in this month. It's a, it's a write-off month. Um, but I reckon you could do it. And you got to think about the money as well. Like, if you were thinking like, every hour is, like, $7,000, it makes it much easier. Hmm. Uh, and one last question. Let's say that both you, Peter, and you, Barrio, you guys make it, and I don't. Are you guys still going to do the podcast with me? Hmm. Hmm. I think it's uh, the biggest question of all. That's an interesting question. Yeah, I would do. <laughs> in, in all seriousness, <laughs> I would actually still do the podcast because it's a lot of fun. But um, but Peter, with, with five million, we can get we can get actual celebrities instead of Inan. Yeah, yeah, you can replace me. What I thought you were gonna say when you said we could get celebrities, I was like, oh yeah, that'd be great. We could have me, you, Anon, and a celebrity. <laughs> <Then> you said <laughs> instead of Anon, as if it's like if there's it's only three. <laughs> wait, we can only connect three mics. Yeah, it's, so it's this, this like... podcast is kind of it's kind of like a you know three person gig. I'm sorry, Anon, it's a bit crowded <laughs> here with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> come on in, Dan Herman. Come on in, Channing Tatum. But no, Anon, you have to leave. <laughs> also, we're going Channing Tatum for the celebrity. Do we like not have the money for Brad Pitt? <laughs> yeah, you know. I'll remind you that it's an audio thing. Like, you can't see how beautiful they are. Well, I'm sorry, Chaining. It's just, you know, <laughs> this podcast, it's only, we can't really drop in on. So, sorry, Chaining. We're always fawning over guys for some reason as well. <laughs> this is very odd behavior. Because because the other way will kind of sound creepy, I think. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's a double standard. One female celebrity, <laughs> you'd have to replace me. Hmm. Um, and you know Hathaway, what? Maybe, maybe. Meryl I don't know Strip. anything Meryl about Strip. her. Maybe get Meryl Anne Hathaway Strip. and Meryl Streep and recreate the movie Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> we only got five mil each. It's not. It's not that plenty. <laughs> you would say Meryl Streep would be worth more than Anne Hathaway for a podcast, wouldn't you? Like Anne Hathaway might do something on the cheap, but I don't think Meryl Streep would. No, I don't think she, she would. We well, could maybe afford Emily Blunt. <laughs> Hey, one quick thing before we go into today's main discussion. We want to thank the awesome people who gave their voices and time to create this episode's intro bit. There's Dan, who's done the awesome, crazy impression of Malcolm. He does the Assorted Goods podcast at Assorted Goods PC on Twitter, um, in which he discusses current events. There's Tiff, who's done Settler in the bit. She's from the Happy Hour Gets Weird podcast at HH Gets Weird on Twitter, a podcast about the paranormal and cocktails. <laughs> and there's Josh, who's done the part of Grant. He's from the All the People You Should Know podcast, at All the People Pod on Twitter. His podcast is about some lesser-known historical figures. Um, they did an awesome job with the bit, and making it happen was a lot of fun. So thank you so much, the three of you. 
one thing that connects their three podcasts is that they're all part of All the People Network, a podcast network that is just now getting started and the Culture Quest podcast is going to be a part of. We'll announce this properly in an upcoming episode, but the fact that we'll be part of something bigger means that we'll have regular people to collaborate with. And we're planning some more fun things like that intro bit. So check out the network website at allthepeoplenetwork.com and follow it at All the Network on Twitter and check out the other podcasts on the network. And now, let's head into the main discussion. Okay, so today we're talking about Jurassic Park, which is a 1993... I've written Jaws in my notes. I keep saying Jaws, <laughs> so my apologies. If I, if I do call it Jaws, then that's my fault. Uh, um, Jurassic Park is a 1993 science fiction film based on the book of the same name. And um, it is directed by Steven Spielberg, our second movie by him. The book was published in 1990, but was actually first conceived as a screenplay, but was obviously written as a book. And Jurassic Park starts with two paleontologists, Alan Grant, um, played by our favourite Irish New Zealander, Sam Neill, and Ellie Sattler, played by Laura Dern. Um, and they're invited, I would say bribed, <laughs> to visit and ultimately sign off on the new theme park called Jurassic Park by the park's creator, John Hammond. And he's played by Richard Attenborough, who is actually the brother of Sir David Attenborough. So yeah. The select group is rounded out by mathematician Ian Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum. They essentially visit Park as a group. And I would say Ian Malcolm is sort of the third wing to the two paleontologists. Yeah. But um, there's also a sort of a lawyer there who's there just to sort of make sure everything goes to plan. There's two kids, John Hammond's grandchildren, and there's also uh, a few people in the sort of what you'd call the main headquarters. The I think it's called? officially called the Visitor's Center, but yeah, behind the, vis- the scenes yeah. kind of guys. Yeah, So and also it's one of the first um, instances of Samuel L. Jackson. So um, he played like a sort of a small... Small role, more than a cameo, yeah. but you know, just yeah. a little bit. And, and he has a good line: "Hold on to your butts." But you, you just knew he was going to make it big. Um, <laughs> anyway, after after revealing the dinosaurs have been recreated <laughs> using prehistoric DNA sequences extracted by mosquitoes, who are subsequently trapped and preserved in tree sap, and supplemented by frog DNA. However, the dinosaurs are discovered to have changed sex, like hermaphrodite frogs, and have begun reproducing. The dinosaurs, now less than sufficiently domesticated, proceed to cause havoc in the park, and the visit becomes a survival mission. And I would say um, the main the main themes I was going to look at, um, I think you guys will want to add on a little bit, but um, I found that the nature as a toy was very interesting that I found, where... Yeah. We're so used to being like somewhere in the food chain where we don't, we can make roads and stuff, which is just putting stuff over, over ground and we can make these buildings, but we've never actually brought creatures back to life and had to deal with the consequences to like the ecosystem and obviously all the other things that can go wrong with them. I think we talked a little bit about this in um, Last Chance to See, if we would actually sort of bring these creatures back to life. And we said a lot of them are too vulnerable to 
actually bring back to life. Like you would just need to care for them so much that you, it would be like a toddler that never grows up. You know, you just, you'd always have to be there for them. This is sort of the opposite where they're going to escape you. You know, they're, they're going to grow up too fast, too quick, and you're going to need- You won't be able to control them. You won't be able to control them. So it's the opposite fear. The second one is a little bit on the same, would be technology and the consequences. So more broadly than just playing with nature, but like where is technology going to lead us if we don't think about um, what we're actually doing with it? And I think this is summarized well when- in Jeff Goldblum's line, I'm just going to call him Jeff Goldblum. Um, <laughs> and he says, um, you're too obsessed with the question of if you could do it and not enough with if you should do it. That that line is probably one of the best in the movies. I agree. I know. I've, yeah. I've, I've, um, I've changed the words a little bit, but that's essentially what he was going for. And then the third one I found quite interesting was the link between dinosaurs and birds. So... This starts, obviously, with Sam Neill is trying to scare that kid um, <laughs> when the kid goes, oh, it's a turkey, you know, not that scary. And then he, you know, proceeds to do some bullying. <laughs> and um, I think I think that was interesting because it's starting to bring in this, in the, in the early 90s, what was a contemporary idea that birds evolved from dinosaurs. And I found it interesting that it would actually try to put like a, I wouldn't maybe not fringe, but like a a very contemporary sort of idea in paleontology circles into a movie which is meant for public consumption. It was kind of like you don't see that so often. Like you see a little a little bit with um, modern psychology being used for like spies and mm, stuff like that yeah. in some modern movies, but you don't often see like a like a science like paleontology being actually explored in movies. Yeah, um, yeah. like in Jaws, we didn't go too deep into that. Yeah, exactly. That's a good example, actually. They didn't go into like into the shark literature and saying, oh, you know, this could be something. But they did do that in Jurassic Park, which I thought was really interesting. Um, so just broadly, what did you guys um, think of the film? Was it um, enjoyable? Was it a bit of a drag? Honestly, I really enjoyed watching this movie. We took an extra week for this episode because of um, scheduling problems, kind of. But in the last three weeks uh, since we recorded our last episode, I watched this movie three times. Um, wow. wow. Yeah. And th- th- my first watch, you know, it, it was kind of a, a, just a fun movie to me. And I, I definitely thought it had a lot of charm. I really liked it. But from my second watch and onwards, I loved this movie. I really fell in love with it. Like... I really like a movie that is really well thought out. Every line, every scene, every shot foreshadows something that will happen later in the movie. And I really like watching these kind of movies over and over again, kind of knowing exactly what's going to happen and seeing everything build up and play out. And this movie is just a great example for a fun movie to re-watch. And other than that, at first I thought that this movie was pretty good. But then I tried to think how passing on, like a version of me that is, I don't know, 10 years old, would have reacted to this movie, and I fell in love with this movie. It could have easily been one of those, you know, Saturday morning, pull the blanket from my bed and go watch a movie on a VHS tape movie for me, a movie I would watch over and over again, every time I was bored, maybe, and I think I would have grown up admiring the character of Grant, like... A great character played by the awesome Sam Neill. I, I would have loved this character as a kid. 
And I'm kind of sad that I missed that experience. But, you know, all in all, I'm not going to say that it's one of my all-time favorite movies, but I really, really loved it. Yeah, this one was, um, going into it, I was excited because I did like Jaws a lot. But at the same time, I'm not that big on dinosaurs. I'm, I, I, I like the concept, but I, I really wanted to know what the big deal was about. And that in itself is sort of a cynical way of going into the movie. Like I was kind of, I was looking to be proven wrong when I went into it. And um, the movie was sort of like a classic 90s movie, which just the only way you can summarize it is it holds up. You know, it it's like like Die Hard, like Jaws, like Jaws is a bit earlier, but like all those good movies like um, American Beauty, they're just, they don't age like most movies. They're, they've just got this sort of unaging characteristic. And I think um, part of it is the direction. I think it was shot really well. The CGI is amazing. Like it's... For 99, it's, actually, it's wild. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, I haven't watched a lot of movies from back then with CGI, but I know I've seen enough bad ones to know that this is a good one. And the character development is, I would say, is is short in terms of it all happens over a relatively short period. So it's not like if you look at some movies like Devil Wears Prada, there's sort of like a longer um, sequence of time where characters learn things. This one is a it's a bit of a quick pill. It it happens like all over just essentially one night. It felt short and sweet. It didn't feel like it sort of, it went on longer than it needed to. And um, I feel, I feel like even if I compare it to Jaws, I feel like there were some scenes in Jaws where I was waiting for it to get to a good part, but this one, I didn't have time because it just all happened so quickly. I think I do prefer this one to Jaws because they're both sort of, they've got animals which are just crazy scary and there's this whole being, like you're you're usually the hunter of animals and you turn into the hunted. That's sort of like the theme of, of these sort of scary movies with a few jump scares and stuff like that. And I feel like um, Jaws is a really good movie and it's really well-rounded with the whole pushing back against sort of society's like economic interests and stuff, just trying to do what's safe for the people. But I feel like this one does it better um, where it's talking about like technology getting out of control and no accountability and stuff like that. I feel like it's more of a polished version of, of, of what Jaws was. Yeah. It's a streamlined, so, more thematic version of Jaws maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> You've actually said it more streamlined than me, but yeah, it's a streamlined version. Um, I feel like I could watch this many more times than, than Jaws for that reason. I feel like it's, it's much more of like, it feels like I'm watching just highlights, but somehow it all works and it all fits together. And I think the reason behind it is because you, you get to see animal after or dinosaur after dinosaur after dinosaur so you get like the stampede scenes and you get the whole when they're sitting in the tree and the and the uh, brachiosaurus comes oh, over and then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get the ones in the kitchens at the end and obviously the ones who are in the car it just feels like you get all these great scenes which punctuate what is like a evolving storyline you get like so many highlights in the middle and um yeah, I, I really liked it. So I think I've waffled a little bit there, but the gist is like, it's just such a streamlined, 
great experience and it doesn't feel like it's from 1993 it feels much much more recent especially after we watched jaws it's it's kind of hard not to compare especially with the with the first scene of the movie you know where it's i don't know it it was exactly like jaws like i i I was like you get this uh frightening scene where you understand that the antagonist i'm saying it you know with with air quotes You, you you don't see it yet but it's something that is incredibly strong there's the part when they try to move to move it out of the cage, I think, and he pulls one of the guards. And at the beginning, you don't see it; you just you just see the guard being pulled from from beyond the wall. And then and they try to help him. It was kind of funny, but I, I guess it was there to demonstrate the strength of of that creature. Instead of like being pulled right away, he's being actually lifted up, so he's in the same spot we see him but just he's just higher now and then they grab him and they try to save him and then eventually he gets pulled and that kind of what triggers the whole the whole movie because they had to bring the inspection in yeah exactly yeah and i gotta say that i i've watched the movie a couple of times i think the last time like other than this week the last time I saw it, I was actually in uh, in in Barcelona, and there was um, a screening of it with the Barcelona Orchestra. So you kind of like, because it it's got a great soundtrack. So like hearing it live, it was really really mind blowing. But you know, you know, just just like you said, like you you watch it, and and because you're not so concentrated with the actual happenings you kind of start seeing things from things things around like not necessarily like i've never actually understood that it kind of feels dumb to, to say now maybe maybe it's just me but i never really understood that they because of that incident at the start they had to bring like experts in order to kind of sponsor this the decision to open the park yeah and I've never really understood that the lawyer, the lawyer represented the investors, which were yeah. kind of on the fence. Yeah, and 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 when he first saw the dinosaurs, then he he was convinced. And I've never actually understood that the whole arc of uh, Grant is just so he finally likes children. Like that, that is definitely the first time that I understood that. And and I know it's in plain sight, but it took me a while because the like the first scene with him, you got him talking with this volunteer volunteer kid or some I don't know. It was kind of weird that that kid was in the in that digging site. Yeah, I kind of thought that they bring like tourists to see them digging to kind of help sponsor the dig. Maybe I don't know. Oh, actually, that's that's a good idea. That's kind of uh, my head cannon. Yeah, I don't know. It it was. It, it makes sense, but I don't know. It, I found it very weird that suddenly there was a kid there, and then that Grant just uh, <laughs> just being a total <laughs> creep to him. It, it was it was truly disturbing. I don't know. Maybe in today's standards, if someone will come to a kid that way and starts scaring the <laughs> shit out of him, telling how how a how a dinosaur will you know butcher him, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, where's that kid? parents why don't they care and all the adults are kind of like standing on the side and smiling at the situation and it's so creepy <laughs> and even um sadler she's like smiling oh you you not a you not a grand yeah you're, you're, you're messing with that kid again <laughs> uh, probably you know scarring him for life and she's so amused by it and when and when grant meets the kids the children he kind of tries to avoid them and they follow him and they kind of 
like when when they finish surviving the whole the whole movie and they on they're on the chopper back to wherever then they're they're snuggling all together and she looks at him and she says oh let's have children now or something like <laughs> yeah to me i think like there's a lot of themes explored in this movie and um the the movie beautifully kind of uses all the characters to kind of compare them around and weigh all these themes in, from different lights but To me, the, the two main themes is the kind of man over nature or a kind of believing you can control everything theme and the, the parenthood theme, which I think is a big one, especially because it's, it's the main theme for Grant, I think. And the other theme, the, the man over nature, I think you have the, the, on the two ends of the scales, you have Ian Malcolm and you have John Hammond. You know, one of them thinks he can control everything and the other thinks... There's no way because of chaos and everything. And in the middle, there's Grant, and you don't know which side he's going to lean towards in the end. Um, and the other theme, Parenthood, specifically kind of focuses about Grant. Do you want me to go into the themes a little more? Yeah, I didn't really do, um, or I didn't really think about the theme of Parenthood as much as you, but now you put it that way, it does feel like that is the main theme for them at the start, at least. And... sort of rounds out nicely at the end with um well I think he's I think he's kind of come around a little bit just by being put in that position but um yeah do you want to talk a little about the parenthood theme I'll, I'll go over the two themes I thought were the main themes uh, I'll start with the the believing you can control everything or the man over nature theme because like this theme explores the question can we people who Or maybe humanity as a whole control every last detail and control something as complex as nature you know I think this movie kind of tackles this theme from a bunch of angles and this theme basically kind of comes up every time that Hammond says his catchphrase which is we spared no expense you know basically he's trying to say we put everything we had into controlling this island every last detail and Hammond is wholeheartedly believes that he can control every last detail on the island in a way that would allow him to basically control nature on the island. And like I said, in contrast to Hammond, there's Ian Malcolm, who keeps warning Hammond that he can't control every little thing. He mentions the chaos theory or that you can try and control the reproduction on the island, but life uh, finds a way. And it's, it's really interesting because the two opposing characters are compared to each other in very interesting ways. Like Hammond and always wears white. In a way, he wants to control the park he built like a god controls the world he made. Uh, there's a lot of kind of throwaway lines that kind of compares Hammond to God. And Malcolm always wears black. He keeps challenging Hammond's ideas. He keeps kind of annoying him. You know, there's even a point where Hammond says about Malcolm, I hate that guy. It kind of feels like Hammond is God and Malcolm is Satan. And Hammond is not really a god like despite the fact that he tries to create a perfect system everything ends up falling apart and I think that the way it happens the way everything falls apart kind of emphasizes the idea that a perfect system is simply impossible uh, what causes the system Hammond built to break down is kind of a perfect storm you know a lot of unrelated things happen at the same time 
there's Nedry's plan to steal the embryos, which includes shutting down the system and putting everyone in danger. Like, I don't believe he intended to endanger everyone, but that happens. Um, there's an actual storm that kind of causes disruptions to the transportation off the island, which screws up Nedry's schedule and causes him to be less careful. And the fact that they kind of run into a sick triceratops during the, the first tour of the park, and then they take too much time to head back indoors and they're, they, they get stuck outside. And like, everything happens despite the fact that Hammond tries to build the perfect system, everything breaks down. And I think that the turning point, kind of the point in which Hammond admits defeat, is when we see him eating melted ice cream near the end of the movie, and Settler points out to him, and basically to us, that he never really had control. Like, it was the flea circus all along, you know? The ice cream is kind of the dreams to control the island, and Settler says that the ice cream is really good, and Hammond looks at it sadly and says, we spared no expense, and the ice cream is melting away, just like his dreams to control the island. And like, Malcolm and Hammond are obviously on opposing ends of the scale, and Grant and Settler, like I said, kind of start somewhere in the middle. They're not convinced by Hammond's confidence, but they're kind of tempted to believe that he might succeed. Like, they're they're really amazed by the, the idea of the park. They really want it to be something good, you know? But in the end, everyone, I think, seemed to end up on the chaos end of the scale. Yeah, I agree, actually. And I think the main sort of protagonist slash antagonist is the um ian malcolm because he's rebelled against the idea that you can control anything and i think as a mathematician that's sort of an interesting take you would kind of expect someone who's you know he's sort he, he comes out as just like this odd oddball mathematician because most mathematicians are sort of introverted they don't really want to speak their mind or anything like this and this guy is talking about like chaos theory and he's 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 talking up Ellie and he's he's sort of out there with how he says stuff he's almost like the embodiment of someone who can't be contained hmm. and i feel like it's interesting that he's he's the one that's continuously talking about how life will find a way when you would kind of expect it to be the paleontologist which would take that line but I feel like just because he's playing that role, Ellie and Alan are, are sort of thrown into this middle zone where they're sort of not, they're sort of, well, at the start, they're sort of impressed. They're saying, wow, you know, they do like sort of walk in herds and stuff like that. Like it was, they were actually for it for the most part yeah. um, when they saw it. And when they were encountering all the danger, that was when it sort of went haywire. So they're sort of in this middle zone where they're not really, they don't really have a strong opinion about it until obviously, even towards the middle where they were in the tree next to the um, Vegasaurus. And um, they were sort of, they were like enjoying the land, you know, like this is a pretty cool place, but I just think they're not as skeptical. Like they're in general, they're more sort of um, optimistic about, having dinosaurs in the world again. Yeah, they're more careful about expressing their opinions about it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think they revel in the joy of having the dinosaurs as well. Mm. Like, Because think about it, as as bad as it might be eventually, like, you're a paleontologist and you're seeing, like, all these dinosaurs for the first time. So you've got to factor that in. Whereas the mathematician is more objective. He's He likes the dinosaurs, but... In, he sees the danger rather than the joy. And that's why I think 
he's sort of the main protagonist in terms of who's aware to the threat, you could say. Um, whereas Ellie and Alan are sort of in this parenting sort of theme. They're, they're more just the dummies that they're to sort of like hide <laughs> and sort of stuff like that. Whereas like, if you actually think about who's the one going up against Hammond, it is actually, um, Ian at the start. So, um, yeah, yeah it, it, it's, it's an interesting, um, sort of theme that I haven't seen in early movies such as that. Like I see a lot of themes like such as like police corruption and authority and stuff, but this one's an interesting one because it's not really like authority that's the difference. It's more like a pre-modern day or modern day Elon Musk, you know, like who's just money thinks, he thinks money can buy anything. He's not super into dinosaurs but he just like he wants to make it rich he wants for younger kids to experience them and stuff and he thinks like he can just do it in the abstract you know he doesn't need to understand everything about dinosaurs he leaves it to the scientists he he can just put the money into the bank accounts and then it'll work yeah so he he was all about spending the money like he was all about like making sure the guests get the best um, ice cream and like the beds were made every day and he wasn't going into the details of the dinosaurs which is interesting because I always felt like he was also like Ian one step removed like he didn't see the dinosaurs for what they were he was just thinking about the guests and he was thinking about all the money and the investors and the, and the fame of doing it so like Ian and John were both removed a little bit from the reality of it. Whereas I think Ellie and Alan were just in the thick of it. They didn't have time to contemplate like the philosophy behind it until the end where philosophy kind of goes out the window when there's children in danger. So yeah. What is maybe interesting is, um, I don't know. Would you, would you create the Jurassic park? There's a question at the end of like most Sam Harris podcasts. He's sort of like this philosophy guru i guess and um he asks if we're in a position to recreate the t-rex should we and there's all these very interesting people that go on the podcast you know like david deutsch who's like a physicist and then there's steven pinker um who most people know in psychology like paul bloom and stuff like this and pretty much everyone says yes (laughs) so we clearly haven't learned anything but i think there's more things than just dinosaurs that we don't what that I think we would create if we could. For instance, like we're trying to get good at AI at the moment, you know, artificial intelligence, augmented reality and stuff. And I feel like um, there's this thing where you could just put on a helmet and sort of, instead of like actually doing anything with your life, you could just like be in the helmet and you could like experience and everything like that. And like, this is one of those modern day things where like, we might actually be in a position to do it, but like if we should, is like a valid question. So um, yeah, I think there's a lot of more, lot more things than just dinosaurs where we should really contemplate if we could do things like social media, for instance. Like it's a really big theme, you know, trying to control like a park on an island, but you can compare it to a lot of interesting things in life. And like the answer in the end is no, we shouldn't try. Like the fact that we can do it doesn't mean that we should do it. I've got another, if we can, should we question. Um, if we're in a position to, should we make 
two Jurassic Park sequels <laughs> and also reboot it, do a soft reboot <laughs> with Chris Pratt. If there is something that shows us we haven't learned from mistakes. <laughs> yeah. In the middle of watching the first movie, I remember they did go and watch Jurassic World in the cinema. And I was so bored by it. Jurassic World? Yeah. The first I actually of the saw Jurassic World um, earlier today, just to say like, what it was like. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, I feel like the action was pretty good, but um, they went straight into like the generic trying to control things and then learning you can't control things and it doesn't have any personality i thought yeah and also like the kids like they try to inject with personality and they got lots more screen time than the kids in jurassic park but they just come off like way less personality like the it's such a flat movie it is a bit of a flat movie yeah even with um chris pratt i thought like chris pratt is is obviously a very talented very charming guy but they used him in the most generic way. He doesn't... Like, that character is so boring. They didn't even utilize having Chris Pratt in the movie at all, I thought. Yeah, I mean, where was the topless scene? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I There's another thing that also regarding uh, if we can do something, will we do something? Because apparently there's this whole field called um, futuristic morality. We're getting close to questions... A cool example for that is that we're now developing uh, autonomous uh, cars, right? And like, imagine you have a car that is driving and it's fully aware of its environment. And then suddenly it realizes that someone, you know, jumped into the road and it can only, you know, do one of the one of the two things, crash and kill that guy who jumped into the road or kind of take the wheel off and, and maybe run into three more people. And, you know, that's kind of like um, the, the basic trolley problem. There, there isn't a right choice. But now when we have something that is so aware of its surrounding, then it's be- then it becomes like a real question and, and it needs to be answered. Like uh, whoever is programming the behavior of that autonomous car will have to decide and program it and you know that will kind of have to also affect how we will take that case in court afterwards. So, so that's very interesting. Like, does it say that we shouldn't have autonomous cars? Probably not, right? But it does bring us to this uncharted territory. Yeah, that is that is super interesting. That, and especially, like, if we're in a position where we like have these autonomous cars, and you can kind of set different settings. So you could have like one setting where it just protects the driver at all costs you know it'll just run through a crowd of people if it can slow your car down and then there's like <laughs> then there's like settings where it's like really altruistic so if it, if you see so, if like your car recognizes someone else who's like younger and like hasn't had children or something like that it'll like just crash into like a barrier just just to save them like so like i just imagine everyone would just be like buying the car that's just going to protect them the most. Yeah, no one will buy the altruistic car. And it will be like this <laughs> yeah. evolution where like the cars will just will have like spikes coming out of the tires and stuff like <laughs> your car will be like a battle monger like it just it'll just like defend you if you get like into someone else's lane like the other cars is just going to like you know <laughs> throw you off the road like trying to take you out and stuff. 
I just imagine. And that's how we get to Mad Max universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it will be like natural selection of cars, you know, survival of the fittest <laughs> that will protect the, the driver. No one's going to buy the car that's like, <laughs> hey, man, like if you're in the wrong, like I'm just going to like crash you into a barrier, you know, like everyone's going to buy the car that's going to be like, I don't care like what you're doing. Like I'm going to like, I'm going to, you know, strap in because you'll be fine. And, you know, like it's just going to be weird. Like you're going to have to have some sort of like, global arrangement you know otherwise every car is just gonna like <laughs> destroy every other car you know before a big accident your car starts scanning the faces of everyone and uses facial recognition goes to each and everyone's Facebook account and tries to judge who deserves to die the least <laughs> yeah like wow that's that's crazy we, we... that that will happen <laughs> like it will it will dynamically evaluate everyone who's involved and and, and try to understand who's the better person and who's and the actually worst. make a decision like how would yeah. it how would it um judge would it, like because the two ways i can think is like one it's just like it just judges you like based off like oh this guy has like a if someone on wallet or something like that i better like he's probably making good gdp numbers and stuff so i better like hit this <laughs> person that has like you know target genes or something or you could have like this system where like you've just got to like put in like your government account where you put in like your salary you put in how many kids you put in like all this stuff like, how much if you tax don't you pay. enter that information it'll judge you by <laughs> a number of followers on twitter <laughs> all of that stuff and then like <laughs> you just have a number above your head like so like when you're walking as a pedestrian <laughs> like you just have like oh 58 or something like that and then someone might walk by you with like 60 or something so if like a car like is just in this position where it's like coming off the road and it has to pick like the 58 or 60 it just has to hit like the 58 because that's just what society has like come to <laughs> and if you drive down the road and there's someone with like a really low number yeah and there's no like no chance of even an accident or anything at all but your car just spontaneously bullies them because they're bad people <laughs> <laughs> like if your number is like below 30 you would just never be a pedestrian <laughs> you would just never go outside <laughs> because cars are just like any opportunity that a car like if a car's going off the road it's just going to hit you it's going to be like a <laughs> magnet because you're just like not deemed worthy by society. <laughs> yeah. And if you're like if you're like a ninety nine, you're just gonna be walking by and all these cars are gonna like fly by you like just nothing's gonna hit you. You're gonna be like invincible just <laughs> just because you have this like magic number <laughs> above you. You can walk down the street with a blindfold. Nothing will ever hit you. <laughs> <laughs> you can walk onto the road and like there'll be like like all the cars are just gonna be in like a pile up, like all crash into the barrier. You just be like God. Oh yeah. let me veer this conversation straight <laughs> back into Jurassic Park. <laughs> so the second theme like the second main theme, I, I'm, there's a lot of themes in this movie, but the second big theme to me was the theme of parenthood. And like if the first theme, the, the man over nature theme was mostly mostly examined by comparing Hammond and Malcolm, I think this one is examined by Grant's growth throughout the movie and by somewhat comparing his character to, to the other ones. And like from the first time we meet Grant and Sattler, there's a question of parenthood between them. Like... From the first scene we see them, Grant is seen as this guy who hates kids, who calls them smelly and a waste of time. And we we see them looking at the machine that does the ultrasound imaging of the buried dinosaur bones in the very first scene, I think, if you don't count the ominous opening scene. And I think this is the first kind of mention of the parenthood theme. Because, like, first of all, it, it kind of looks like Grant and Settler are looking at this 
kind of sonogram, you know, uh, which kind of looks like they're going to have a baby and they're kind of getting ready for it. So this subtly introduces the parenthood theme and also kind of foreshadows the fact that dinosaurs in this world are reborn again, you know. And the first time we see kids in the movie, the, the um, what are they called? Um, children. Lex and oh. <laughs> Lex and Tim. Yeah, children. Thank you. It's <laughs> a good joke. <laughs> I thought you were looking for the word for kids. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no. So the first time we see Lex and Tim, they're hugging their grandpa. And like the camera doesn't even pan to them. We don't even get their names at all. The camera pans up, shows a settler looking at the kids kind of smiling kind of a motherly look to her while Grant looks at them and he's all confused. And throughout the movie, we see Grant trying to avoid kids. Like, even though they kind of follow him around and, and want to spend time with him. And then he's forced into being in charge of them, in charge of keeping them alive. And he ends up bonding with them. And there's a lot of little things kind of throughout the, the movie that symbolize his growth into a father figure. Like, the big one, I think, is he carries around this velociraptor claw which we see twice in the movie. The first time we see the, the claw is when he uses it to scare the kid, the kid we mentioned earlier at the beginning of the movie. Um, uh, and then we see the claw a, a second time, a second and last time, after um, Grant and the kids share the first kind of bonding moment, you know, in the tree before they go to sleep. He hugs them as they sleep. He tells them that he's going to stay awake and kind of watch over them. And then he takes the claw and throws it away. Like, he will not use his claw anymore to scare kids, you know? And Sadler, she kind of acts as kind of a mother figure. Like, when we see the sick Triceratops, she kind of takes care of it. She kind of hangs out and makes sure that it's getting better and everything. And I think that Hammond is an interesting character when it comes to this theme. Because, in a way, he's the mother figure of all the living beings on um, Isla Nublar, the, the island, the park. He's there when they're born, he cares for them as they grow, and he's clearly horrified when they die. Ian Malcolm also mentions that he has three kids, which I think, in a way, this is the only similarity between Malcolm and Hammond's characters. They both have either literal or figurative children. And they love their children. And I think every character in the movie that mentions children mentions them in kind of a positive way, other than Grant. And in the end, obviously, he's kind of grows into this father figure. What do you guys think? Yeah, it happens organically as well. It's not like sort of forced upon him. Like most things in the park are sort of forced, you know, like it's all just gates and stuff. But this is like the one thing that happens sort of just by chance, you know, he's thrown into the situation and he realizes like it's not as bad as he thought. I feel like it's it's kind of like this interesting relationship between him and the kids. Like before it was like he was duty bound, you know, like he was just, he just had a job to do and stuff. But then he becomes sort of like this teacher, you know, like explaining to other people what the dinosaurs are going to do and stuff like that. And then when it comes to the, to the end and he... Um, meets her with Ellie he's sort of like this different like it all happened outside of Ellie's vision you know like last time Ellie saw him he wasn't really pro kid you know like he was just at all yeah at all and by the time she sees him next you know he's already got these like deep relationships with these kids you know like they've already been through about six different life-threatening situations so the interesting thing for me is that, like, she is the one that is sort of wanting this change the most, 
but it all happens when she's not there, you know? It all happens like... Mm, yeah, that's interesting. It all yeah. just happens on its own. I think it's like, I don't know, there is some sort of loose connection to like just not being able to control everything, you know? It is if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Interesting. I didn't think of it this way. Yeah, it's cool. I didn't didn't think about it as well. It happens while she's like they're not together. She's not really there to hold his hand while he takes care of the children. It will. It probably wouldn't have happened if she was there because he was the responsible adult there and, and he had to take care of them. Yeah, he had no choice at all. Yeah, that's true. She was if she was with um, Alan the whole time. You could just imagine Alan like doing everything like technical and she's just like there comforting the kids. But the reality was he was comforting the kids and she was the one like trying to do everything that's like technical with the park. Yeah. Because really she saved the day in terms of like turning on the power and stuff like that. She almost killed the kid, but you know, stuff, stuff <laughs> yeah, happens. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like the part where she tells uh, to him and uh, we can talk about sexism in, in life-threatening situations after we get out of it or something like yeah. that. Where where they kind of decide who should go uh, with that hunter fellow to uh, yeah, Muldoon, I forgot about reactivate that. the park. When I saw that, I thought it was... I actually didn't realize it was like a sexist thing. I thought he was just saying, because you're a guest, like, oh, guests shouldn't be doing it. Oh. I actually totally... Mi- and then she's like... Oh, oh Peter, so naive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then and she's like, oh, we can talk about sexism later. I was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it totally went over my head. <laughs> So something I really liked, and I already kind of briefly mentioned, is that this movie doesn't have a meaningless moment or a meaningless line or a wasted shot in it. You know, like I think we've we talked about movies that do this before. I think Jaws was one of those. Yeah. And we kind of mentioned Harry Potter is kind of a book that does this as well, because everything kind of foreshadows stuff that will happen later. Like everything in this movie in Jurassic Park that is being said. Or, or shown to us, gets a payoff later, you know? Like, everything. Even if it seems like a throwaway line, it has an impact later. And every small detail either teaches us about the characters or tells us something about the themes of the movie or, or helps in creating the atmosphere or the feel of the movie. And sometimes it does all of it all at once. Like I mentioned, this this kind of makes the movie really fun to rewatch and try to hunt down every little detail. And this is done especially well in making you fear the velociraptors. You know, Grant tells us about how they hunt uh, when we meet him for the first time. We'll later see that he's truly amazed when he learns that the, the park has bred raptors. And we'll learn how scary they are in the scene where they're being fed, even if they're not visible for a second. And this all builds up to make them the scariest dinosaurs in the movie, even though they're on the screen for maybe just a few minutes near the end of the movie. And uh, to add to that, like every every scene in this movie kind of flows naturally into the next one. You know, there's no weird cuts. There's no weird fade outs or fade ins. There's nothing like that. Every scene ends with a sentence or a shot that leads directly into the next scene. I think that's beautiful. Something else that's also great is the... Yeah, um, I agree with you, Nan. <laughs> <laughs> on the record. Um, something else that's also great is the music by John Williams. Yeah, it's just, I tried to think of what word would describe it other than, you know, adventurous. But the only other word I could come up with is uh, majestic. Yeah, it does sound, majestic is a good one. It's beautiful. It's big. It's it's exactly what you need. It's not like Jaws in a way. Like I compared a lot of, of this movie to Jaws because Jaws kind of felt like a horror movie with an adventure type music. And this feels like an adventure movie with scary parts in it. 
And I think it's all because of the music, you know? Yeah, I think my favorite part where the music comes in was definitely when they first arrive at the park and they're looking at the um, brachiosauruses and um, the music kind of kicks in very majestically. That was one of my my favorite moments of the film, actually, just because it's so, I don't know, it's so breathtaking just to see it all at the start. But um, the music just gets sort of, I don't know if it gets better, but it's definitely... Um, used really well. Oh, the music makes this scene work. Yeah, not even just the just the music, but it's used really like strategically. It's really quite nice. No, but the the scene you mentioned, the the scene where they kind of reveal what's special about the park. That scene you first see dinosaurs. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's the most important scene in the movie. I think, like maybe not the most important scene, but it's the most beautiful, well done scene in the movie. You know? Yeah. There's so much happening in it. And so much care to details. And the music is so important to that scene. Because, like, I counted. I think that scene is nearly four minutes long. And there's, what, like, eight sentences throughout. And it's carried by the music. And it's carried by the reactions of the characters. You know, they they barely talk. But just the way they react to every little thing makes us feel the way the movie wants us to feel, you know? It's not like the, the creators of the movie like are thinking they'll see dinosaurs and it'll blow their minds. They, they don't rely on that. They rely on good acting, good music. Everything works together. Because like, I think when Grant and Sattler, like that part where they first see the dinosaurs, like we don't know they're looking at dinosaurs at all. There's close-ups on their faces and we see that they're speechless. We see that they're amazed by what they see, but we don't see what they see for, I counted it, 32 seconds. Yeah. You know, it's just amazed faces. And you're like, what? What is it? What is it? Show me. <laughs> no, that, I, I don't know. For me, it's, it, that's why this scene is amazing because the whole flick is about dinosaurs and they're awed by something. And of course, it's going to be dinosaurs, but it's so well-crafted, you know, like you said, both the acting and the music and the, and the whole overall rhythm and, and, and the scenery is that you're completely surprised and, and you kind of get connected to the amazement of actually yeah. seeing. It also, I also realized that uh, dinosaurs is their life's work. They use this very special technology just to understand that there's a, a fully preserved skeleton, you know, like how much can you get from a skeleton way below um, below the surface. And they're amazed by the technology that they won't have to dig anymore because it will be so easy to find them. And then they see like next to them real life dinosaurs. And it, it's just well done. And again, it's not that just the fact that there's a dinosaur there is enough. They take their time, they build the suspense, and they make us, the audience, feel kind of anxious to find out what it is. And like I said, we know it's dinosaurs. On the poster, there's a big T-Rex head. We know it's going to be dinosaurs, but this scene primes us to be amazed by it. We see it there for like 30 seconds without speech. You know, they're walking around the Brachiosaurus, and they're like amazed, and they don't say anything. And we just see the characters admire the dinosaurs with nothing but big, majestic music in the background. And once they're able to speak, Hammond gives them, like, the full picture. He tells them how big these dinosaurs grow up to be, and that they even have a T-Rex. And Grant and Sattler, they're amazed, and they turn around, and they see that there's not just one 
or two dinosaurs, there's a herd of them. And it keeps building up from just seeing a close-up to their face to seeing a whole bunch of dinosaurs near or in the lake. And at the peak of it, Grant segues into the only logical place. He asks Hammond, how'd you do this? And Hammond says, I'll show you. And, and the movie smoothly continues to the next scene. Like I said, it's four minutes long. And it's so big. And how do you move on to the next thing? Like, how do you keep this movie going naturally? And they do this perfectly. Like, you don't even think about it, you know? I, I, I can't even think of another movie that puts so much effort into making such a big reveal moment like this work in a way that seems so effortless. Yeah. Usually, they're, like, the modern day equivalent is to do like set pieces, you know, where like there's certain explosions coming and there's a certain motorbike chase, you know, like for the Bond films, they spend like weeks setting up like the perfect sort of shot. Whereas this is a CGI dinosaurs and them in on grass, you know, but they put so much effort into not the scripting because there wasn't much said, but they just like, and this is true throughout the film. They let the characters just breathe, you know, they let them just be normal humans you know, they don't, it's not constant like zinger after zinger. And like the thing is, Ian obviously does have like zingers and stuff like that, but his um, personality stands out because not everyone's doing the same thing. You know, like if everyone was like Ian, then it just wouldn't be, wouldn't be fun, but it's fun to have like one character like that. So everyone else can just relax and just actually, you know, act like, you would like, there's no, like, we need to say like a whole paragraph of things and we only have 30 seconds. So let's just like get straight into it. You know, like there's nothing like that. Yeah. It's just so natural the way they feel and they do feel like regular characters, you know, like, and this is, this is true with a lot of Steven Spielberg's like, it's just regular people doing something that's highly irregular, you know? And that's kind of the thing that hooks you into a lot of the films, um, like typical Steven Spielberg ones is like, what would it be like to do X? You know, like what would it be like to be on Jurassic Park? And the way to do it is to have people you can connect with, with situations you can't connect with. Yeah. Like you always hear the saying, a good movie shows you what to feel. It doesn't tell you what to feel. Yeah. And with the characters like this, like Grant and Settler, which I really can connect with, and even Ian, Ian Malcolm, which, like I said, he has a bunch of zingers and everything he says is a bit cynical, but that's just who he is. And you can connect with them, and then you see how amazed they are, and you can connect with that. You can put yourself in their shoes and feel what they feel during this reveal scene. Or later when they're on that kind of ride that, you know, you see that movie with Mr. DNA and they give you then the, the kind of scientific mumbo jumbo explanation to how everything is possible. And instead of kind of, you know, letting you maybe even feel a bit skeptical towards this explanation, you get close-ups of their faces and those scientists guys that you kind of connect with and you kind of learn to trust they're amazed by this explanation. And then you suddenly, you don't even think about that explanation. Even if it's not perfect, you just, yeah, okay, Grant, Settler, and Malcolm kind of accept it. I'll accept it as well. Something I found funny is, is I don't really get why Malcolm is asked to support the park. You know, like, he's a mathematician. What does he know? Uh, you know what? Uh, for that matter, dinosaurs experts, like the paleontologist, Grant and Settler, why, why should their opinion matter? Like, at this stage, you know? I, I get why you should 
bring them in early. But at this stage of, of development of the park, it's about safety more than about dinosaurs. I don't know. Like any other park would get safety experts and not people who not only never saw live dinosaurs before, they don't have any clue as to how parks work. You know, it kind of reminds me how in Jaws, Hooper, the oceanographer, is also kind of very experienced for some reason in performing autopsies. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I know that oceanographers don't perform autopsies. And it's kind of weird that Settler, who's a paleobotanist, I think, would know offhandedly that a triceratops eyes are dilated, even though she's never seen anything other than its bones before. So to support the opening of a park, I don't get it. Hmm. Kind of funny. Like, it's part, you need it for the story. I, I get that, but I think it's just funny to me. I think the paleontologist is fair because they're just trying to pander to the investors. They don't really care if the park, well, I mean, they they think the park is safe. But they don't want people to say the park's safe because they they just want the okay from the paleontologists just to say, oh, paleontologists love it. And then investors will be like, oh, great, let's give them money. But I don't know why they brought in the chaos theory guy. It feels like bringing in the auditor, you know, <laughs> like, like don't bring in a guy who just thinks everything is chaotic to say it's all good. Like, he's not going to say that. So yeah. I don't know why they brought him in. I think they mentioned, like, in the beginning that he's kind of a trendy pick. You know, something. He's yeah, kind of a fashionable that would be, scientist guy. That would make sense. Like, bring I in. I think that's how they cover their butts. Yeah, bring in, like, the cool <laughs> guy who's in the cover of nature or the cover of science yeah. or something. Yeah, that would make sense. But they did pick the wrong guy because he's he basically called the whole movie. So. Yeah. So something that barely needs mentioning, I think, is the, the movie Jurassic Park has been referenced so many times like there wasn't a shot or or a kind of a, a scene where i didn't think like oh this was there and this was referenced there and uh, you know the see nobody cares line in the beginning of the movie i didn't know it was coming but like the moment i saw that shot i know it was the famous meme i see on reddit all the time right and <laughs> hold on to your butts like <laughs> the the that line I know that line. I've, I've heard that line so many times in my life. I never knew it was from Jurassic Park. And did you? I did. Held on to my butt. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the trembling cups of water. You know, like it, it must be one of the most famous scenes in movie history. Yeah. It must be, right? Yeah, probably. It's such a, it's such a famous bit. You know, you see the, the cups and, and everything is dark and then you see the water trembling. And, you know, that's something big is coming your way yeah and there's a scene you see the t-rex chasing the the um the jeep they're driving in and you see it in the side view mirror yeah <laughs> they reference that in toy story 2 in the beginning in the opening <laughs> scene and uh, yeah you see the t-rex toy chasing them in the car and you see the him in the uh side view mirror and that's like you know i i watched toy story 2 a few times and i never knew it's from jurassic park I, I should have expected it because obviously a dinosaur chasing a jeep, but <laughs> so many little things that are referenced in so many places. Like I expected to see a lot of, to understand a lot of references after watching Jaws and some did work out for me, but like here, everything, everything is referenced somewhere, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I hear hold on to your butts more often than I would have thought actually. <laughs> hold on to your butts. <laughs> like I could have made that impression for years now. And I, I just, for the first time, watched this movie like a couple of weeks ago. The ironic thing is often we misattribute things because we hear it in other movies and we're like, oh, it's from that movie. But then really they're copying it from an earlier movie. Like I know it's not the case, but like hold on to your butts could have been like a funny thing. Like 
someone said from a 1950s film and we'd be like yeah, crediting yeah. Huh. Jurassic Park. I know it's not, but it it could it would be funny if it was. Yeah. Okay, two things. One, is there anything you didn't like? And two, if you haven't already said it in that question, what did you think of um, Jeff Goldblum? It's a good movie, I think. It's definitely not one of my favorites, but probably more because it's less of my genre. Not your style, kind of. Yeah, not, not my cup of tea, exactly. And I got to say, another thing that surprised me is that Jeff Goldblum really has a, a really side role. Like, if you would have, uh, you know, swapped the character with, with a nerdy white guy, it would probably do the same thing. You know, like I don't know, like he, he has a role of this nerdy, nerdy guy who's who's like, yeah, you shouldn't do that, and life will find a way. <laughs> that would have been interesting, actually. That would have been interesting if there was some like outspoken, like very much like methodical science guy who's like, no, no, you don't understand. Whereas it was this really charismatic dude, like you know, it'll 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 happen. Yeah, he's definitely not a main character. He's kind of a storytelling tool, you know, something you can compare true, other characters true. to. Yeah, it's kind of a tool as well when he hits yeah. on... Uh... <laughs> He's kind of there to surface these kind of philosophical ideas more than to be a, a hero, or to be a yeah. character that grows. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I at first, I really didn't like him. I thought it was really annoying. But then I, like I said, I tried to kind of think of this movie as a kid in the 90s. And uh, I think as a kid, I would have thought it was really cool. You know, he's really smart he's really snappy he has all the kind of the fun punch lines i thought i think i got used to him he's a cool character it's probably going to show my lack of maturity but i just love jeff goldblum's acting like i love the silliness i love the <laughs> yeah he is i good. love the playfulness like he kind of like over acts but he's he's doing this really sort of improvisational sort of bit where he's like he sort of talks about something and then he just loses like his his thought, his track of thoughts, and then he's like, and uh, yeah, I was like, man, that's so weird. Like you just never see that in another actor. Like it just feels like, like he feels like you know, in in a story, you're meant to like do this, do that, do that, and you're trying to make it seem like more natural. You know, adding in places to breathe, adding in space. You know, like if you sort of side talks and stuff but mainly it's all focused on the on the plot and then this guy feels like he could just do anything like he's just chatting up ellie like absolutely nothing to do with the plot <laughs> i feel like he's kind of like just like an oddball and i kind of like that and there's i feel like there is people that will just never like jeff goldblum's acting but i'm completely the opposite i i totally agree kind of over acts yeah Good example is um in in Friends when he's when Joey is trying to act and um he he really like um Jeff Goldblum's character although he's playing Jeff Goldblum but Joey's sort of like he he hasn't gone to the toilet and he really needs to like he he needs to piss and he's like jumping about he's like on his <laughs> toes and he's like you know his face is in pain and Jeff's like yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. The urgency. I feel like only Jeff Goldblum would endorse that kind of acting. It works. It works so well yeah, with the character. I like it. Like I, I like I said, I think he overacts a bit, but it works. But to me, like I didn't like Laura Dern's acting really. Mm. You know, I, I didn't think she was 
horrible. But if there's one thing about this movie I didn't really like is Laura Dern's performance or acting. Like, I thought it was the most mad out of everyone in the movie. Uh, she wasn't bad, but I thought there were a lot of moments where she was just a bit over the edge. She was a bit yeah, cringy to fair. me. The one thing I didn't like about the movie actually was um, it was just Dennis's sort of um, Dennis Nedry's plot. You know, I I just I don't know didn't didn't really need that subplot. Hmm. No, but but I, but that but that kind of like what started the whole. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess it it kind of it kind of ended up in in a dead end, but it kind of what triggered it did, yeah. everything in yeah, motion. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe in the book, like, you get deeper into it and you maybe it, maybe it's better. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, maybe it's done better in the book. I really like the two kid actors, Ariana Richards and um, Joseph Mazzello. Like, I was kind of preparing myself for some bad acting when I saw them. They kind of gave me the first impressions of, you know, uh, just average child actors. But honestly, they were yeah, both really good. Yeah, kids usually films, but these ones were f- like... To say a kid is fine in a film is like major praise you know and i think Ariana richards uh, the the girl who played lex i thought she was really good like i really liked the way she acted like when she was panicked and she she keeps saying he left us he left us i thought she was great yeah yeah and uh, like she she had really good uh facial expressions like she was really good yep i really like i agree and again I... with you you know <laughs> <laughs> and i thought sam neil was just great like i loved every second of him on the screen i really loved him there's this guy called Professor J from Twitter, um, at jhunt006. He wrote, My biggest takeaway when I walked out of the theater in 93 was they no longer have to have human actors to make movies. They can, they can actually do it now because the directors of like the Avengers or the recent Avengers, Joe and Anthony Russo, they just said, like, well, we have so much footage of all the actors and we can, like, manipulate like the facial expressions and all this just because we've had to do it for um like all their action scenes especially with like iron man yeah we could just do it a movie like without any of them showing up to set like we don't actually need them (laughs) so i just thought wow (laughs) yeah now can you imagine i don't know like i would like for them to do it just to see what could happen i would like to see watch it and just see if i could tell have you watched rogue one Star Wars story yeah, or whatever I it's Yeah, I have, called. actually. Rogue One's, like, one of my favorites of Star Wars. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember you telling us about that. But there's, like, two characters in that. Um, what's the name of the general, whatever his name is, one of the bad guys? Like, he's the character that appears throughout the movie, and he's completely CGI'd. Oh. Like, it's completely an animated character. And I think it looks pretty good, but not perfect. Also... And in the ending... Yeah. The Princess Leia. Yeah, Princess Leia CGI'd. would be CGI'd in in Episode Nine and maybe and Eight. And I like I know there's a lot of movies today that are like I don't know maybe eighty percent CGI and some actors in it, and it looks good. Like I think CGI today is amazing, but I don't think like Princess Leia or the general I can't remember his name. Um, but you know the the CGI characters in Rogue One, they're not good enough. You know they're just almost there. Which I think it's 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 a good sign uh, for Jurassic Park that their CGI is so believable in '93. I think it's amazing that what what they could achieve in '93. Yeah, it is. And uh, well, there's another guy, Waffles, um, from Twitter. Uh, he's at Waffles the Magic, and he wrote, 
Um, it still gives me chills, a cinematic masterpiece, both entertaining and thrilling. The special effects still hold up and the acting talent is brilliant. Uh, who doesn't love Goldblum? <laughs> hey. Every time I rewatch it, I love it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, which I, I totally agree. Like um, everything about this movie is really fun and I can totally see myself watching this movie over and over again. Just good stuff. Like people love this movie. Yeah, this movie totally slaps. <laughs> <laughs> like even though I came in sort of not liking um, dinosaurs, like I wasn't into the whole paleontology thing. When you pick a Steven Spielberg, you know you're sort of going to have a good time, like regardless. And um, yeah, this is um, this has been a good culture gap to fill. Actually, I feel like it's been one of the biggest ones. I know when we did Jaws, we felt like that was a really quite a big culture gap to fill. Yeah, I called it a mini bus amongst uh, random encounters. Yeah, this one is... <laughs> yeah, which I think this one is another mini bus or just a yeah, main bus. Yeah, so um, yeah, it, it's nice to be able to like actually just talk about it. And yeah. um, there's like, there's a few um, sequels and there's the sort of, it's not a reboot, but the, 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 the ones with the new cast um, that have recently come out. And um, I think this one just does it the best. So I think this one's like a must-see. Yeah. Um, but the others are like, it, I think a lot of people will appreciate the sequels and stuff like that if they're into this sort of stuff as well. I think it's definitely it's definitely something that everyone should watch. It probably wouldn't become a blockbuster today, but probably because like it was so significant at the time. It's kind of like how you you see Star, the old Star Wars now and and they they kind of seem off but that's because they did so much for for the industry one more thing to add in um 2013 actually i think it was they they re- they re-released it with um 3D um in the cinemas so Wonder i don't know Park. yeah yeah um, when all like the 3D craze was going on they they recreated um Jurassic Park um with all the 3D effects and apparently it's one of the best um, movies that they've been able to sort of rejig to make 3D. Like, obviously, there's some films that are shot in 3D, and then there's some that they just post hoc do it. Yeah. And this one is apparently one of the best that they did post hoc. Um, unfortunately, most people aren't going to be able to see that because I think 3D TVs picked up a little bit in like 20, 2013, 14 and stuff, but I don't think they're a big deal now. Like, I certainly haven't seen one around. But, yeah. you know, if anyone ever has the opportunity to see it in 3D, apparently it's very good. Uh, I, I, I'm I willing to give it a go if I ever have the chance, but I'm a, like, I'm really against 3D movies. Yes, yeah, me too, me. actually. Yeah. Me too. Like, I really have a lot of fun watching this movie and even more fun researching it. Like I said, there's a lot of themes here. There's a lot of good things like, a lot of interesting things to say about this movie. And when I'm thinking about how I would have reacted to this movie when I was a kid, like I said earlier, I think I might be really scared by it, but I would have loved the characters of Grant and Malcolm and Hammond. I really would have loved this movie as a kid. I think that, like, in the other Spielberg movies we've watched, uh, the Jaws movie, like, every line and scene in this movie drives the main, st- main story forwards, touches one or more of the themes, builds the characters... And, and helps in creating the atmosphere of the movie, which I love when movies do this. Um, I really think it's interesting to see. And all in all, I'm really impressed with this movie, and I had a lot of fun. Like I said earlier, I'm, it's not going to enter my, I don't know, maybe top 10 movies list, but it, I really love this movie, all in all. 
so before we end this uh, discussion, we're going to be doing something new now. Throughout the, the, the doing this podcast, uh, we've done a bunch of movies, a bunch of uh, music albums, a bunch of we've done a documentary, we've done a comic, uh, we've done books, we've done a lot of things. And we figured that as we're trying to become more cultured, we're actually you know trying a lot of new things, we're accumulating a lot of information and knowledge, and it kind of would be a shame to not collect it all in a manner that is kind of neat and accessible, you know? And so we would like to introduce, The Culture Quest Essentials Guide. Um, starting this episode, we will decide whether the subject of each episode is worthy of a very prestigious mention in our Essentials Guide. This guide will include everything that we deem to be essential to anyone who is on a quest to become a person of culture. Or you can kind of look at it as a list of good things to start with if you're just starting on your quest. Uh, if you're intending to become more of a cultured person like we are, Maybe this guide will be something you'd be interested in. We will decide you know what to include in the guide by taking a vote at the end of each episode. And here's how it will go. Uh, at the end of each discussion, we will each get a chance to state our case, kind of share our thoughts, and we would vote by whether or not we feel that the subject matter is a major cultural milestone or by whether we've learned a lot from it or not. Or by whether we feel it's an important step towards a life of culture. Personal opinions would be taken into consideration, of course, um, but to an extent. It's up to each of us to decide what weight to give our own opinions. For example, um, if you've heard our Annie Hall episode, I didn't think that the movie was 10 out of 10 at all, but I definitely would have voted it into the guide. Like, there's a lot of aspects to it that are relevant to anyone who's interested in storytelling at all, and I feel it has a lot to do with being cultured. So um, something that is important to note, we will take the vote and each vote has to be unanimous for the subject matter to be accepted. Like only things that will get three yays across the board will be introduced into the CQEG or the guide. Um, so in short, in time, the guide would become a list of the best of the best out of what we've encountered on our quest. Um, and so for the first time ever, let's have a vote, guys. This is our first entry into the Quag? Yep. Quag. 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 Okay, yeah. So, this is our first vote, our first uh, uh, entry into the Quag. And like I said, a unanimous vote would lead into the inclusion of Jurassic Park in the Culture Quest Essentials Guide, or the CQEG, or the Quag. Um, so, we will each uh, state our case in regards to today's subject matter, and then we will vote with a gentlemanly tip of the hat for yay, or an ominous stroke of a mustache for nay. So both, both visual yeah. dependent things on a podcast, but <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Baird, do you want to state your case? Yes. I think Jurassic Park is one of the few movies with dinosaurs. So it's not like you have a whole selection of um, sort of paleontology themed movies. And it's also one of the earliest films to really get CGI right. In addition to that, It's a Steven Spielberg movie, which is great just for the collection. And also it's a major cultural event. You know, there was a lot of people that were became interested in sort of um, dinosaurs. And um, obviously um, one of the first movies was Samuel L. Jackson. There's a few really great lines. Um, while you're thinking if you could, you didn't stop to think if you should. And the hold on to your butts. There's a lot of, there's a lot of great. Um, things that um, will appear in lots of other movies. 
Um, so for those reasons, I am going to give this a tip of my hat. Awesome. So that's the first tip of the hat for anything. Um, uh, historical moment. Mario, what do you think? Um, also tipping, not necessarily just because of the movie uh, itself, but w- after watching it, a lot of other movies and TV series and, and you know, like general media uh, becomes much clearer because there are so many references to it, then it, I think it should definitely go to the quag. Yeah, I totally agree. There is no need of more words once we've kind of summed up our feelings and all of us said, this is something that everyone should watch. You know, uh, this is definitely a huge cultural step for us, I think. So this gets my gentlemanly tip of the hat. So with that, three three tips out of three, a unanimous vote. The, this is the first uh, mention in our Culture Quest Essentials Guide. Woo! This is page one of the guide. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Uh, historical moment for the podcast, historical moment for the guide. I, I would say a historical moment for culture as a whole. <laughs> <laughs> for mankind. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So cool. We, we got a first, uh, a first page for the guide. And uh, we'll see how we, we include stuff that, you know, we've done in the past and um, we didn't get a vote. How about we commit a future tavern talk to going through our previous um, topics and putting them in yeah. or excluding them from the quag? What do you guys reckon? Let's see. Wait, let me let me count this. So we've got seventeen or sixteen episodes we've done uh, up until now that have a kind of a main subject. Like I'm not including lockdown bonuses. I'm not including the Harry Potter one. So we've done. 16 or 17 main discussions about things, about main subjects. How many out of those do you think would get voted in? Like, my bet, just to give some context, I think like three or four maybe. Oh, three or four. I think so. Oh, they got to be... I like I like the system. Because, because it has to be unanimous. Yeah, you hold a lot of power, actually. Because if the other two voted yeah. in, you, you have veto power. So it's... Yeah. Yeah, I, I could imagine maybe maybe five or six, maybe. A bit more optimistic. A third? I think uh, when we do it, we'll each kind of have the moment to kind of uh, make our cases. And I think we'll hold on with the voting till the end because maybe, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't want to vote to something and you guys would convince me. I don't know. That's fair. That's we'll fair. see. So next episode, we're going to go for the first time, I think, with an anime TV show. We haven't, we haven't watched any anime yet, right? Never. Okay, so we're going to do a TV show that I've been hearing about for a long time called Cowboy Bebop. It's from 97. It's an anime sci-fi TV show. It's kind of like a a Western in space, which immediately, you know, I I guess it brings all of us back to (laughs) Firefly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But by the way, I didn't know that. I I always kept hearing that it has awesome music, like you know, a lot of bebop and yeah, a lot jazz, of jazz in general. And blues, yeah. As far as I've heard. Yeah, it's originally from Japan, and that's pretty much all I know about it. I watched uh, a YouTube video called "Why You Should Watch Cowboy Bebop." There's a lot of things that, like you know, on first impressions kind of remind you of Firefly because, again, it's a Western in space. Um, the, the movie from Firefly is called Serenity. Serenity is their boat, their spaceship. And Bebop is a spaceship in Cowboy Bebop. So oh. 
there's a lot of similarities, but as far as I've, as I know, they explore completely different themes. And I, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm good to go for another um, cowboy space thing. So I, I'm waiting for this. It's supposed to be really good. Uh, people I know who've watched it really adore it. So I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, I think so too. And you said it's 26 episodes. Yeah, 26 episodes, 25 minutes each. We're going to have intensive two weeks. Yeah. Of watching. It's going to be fun, I think. A little bit cramped, but it's going to be fun. I have a friend that actually has recommended it a few years ago to me, but I just, I don't know. I wasn't really into the anime um, thing, but that's the whole point of doing this. I would I would look at things I wouldn't usually look at, and it, for the most part, it's turned out well. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm actually coming in with high hopes because, you know, the first time you ever see something off a particular genre, you usually sort of... You know, it sort of gets you a bit pumped to see what else is in the world. You know, like with the comic books, we yeah. kind of talked about some other characters we'd like to see in comic books and stuff. So hopefully this is sort of um, similar, can start, can sort of um, trigger a little bit of a um, new interest. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't watch basically any animes. Like, you know, I watched Pokemon uh, growing up and I watched a bit of, um, what's it called? Oh, Dragon Ball Z. But like... These are both kind of entry-level animes. I I wouldn't even count them. So this is going to be something new for me. And I'm always excited when there's something, you know, we're going to do that is known for having good music in it. Like, I always love this. Uh, I always think it helps. And jazz and kind of blues music, kind of American-influenced um, music, I, I usually tend to like it. So I think this is going to be really fun. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Peter. And thank you, Barrio, for staying true to our goal. And thank you, the listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. See ya. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) So you two, um, dig up, dig up dinosaurs? Dungeons and Dragons podcast called Realms and Nerds. Some highlights of our show include wreaking havoc in every town we visit, blowing up hot tubs, killing off fan favorite characters, high necromancers, inappropriate wedding etiquette, and every now and then, actually good storytelling. Join us in the realms of Pridea for fun fantasy adventures. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or just about wherever you get podcasts.